0: Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is powerful and true. So Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you will reveal yourself to us. Give me the words to speak, Lord, and help me to deliver them in a way that your people will hear it and be affected. Lord, help us to surrender to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, So again, we are continuing our sermon series in uh, our post-exilic texts. We're calling it the Return from Exile Uh, They're called the post-exilic texts because it is after uh, the Israelites were sent off into exile, they were being disciplined by God, so they're sent into exile, first into Assyria, then to Babylon. The Babylonian Empire was defeated by the Persian Empire, and so the Jews are there uh, in Persia, in exile, from their homeland, but God brings them back. And after he starts to bring them back, and they come back in a few different waves, but after he brings them back, we get some more scripture, some more text from God. And so those are called the post-exilic texts. Um, we're calling it the return from exile. Um, the main idea of the whole section here is depending on God. We see that broken into six different books, and that's Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah are the historical books, and Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are the more prophetic books. We're in Zechariah right now, we're working our way through that, Um, but uh, to give a little bit of a a history, you know, King Cyrus gave permission, King Cyrus of Persia gave permission and provision for the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and they were off to a good start, um, but they hit some roadblocks that caused them to cease building for 15 years, God spoke through the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to get them started again. And we're now five months after they uh, restarted building the temple, and it's the middle of winter. Uh, according to our calendar, it's late January, early February time of year, um, and Zechariah gets a series of visions from God. Um, and they are, uh, they, uh, Zechariah gets these visions in the night, so they're called the night visions. I said last week that there are eight of these night visions, and we're going to try to work through two a week. Uh, I know it sounds like that's a lot, and we're going through it really quickly. Well, it is a lot, we're going through it really quickly, but at the same time, we could spend a whole year just on these eight texts and it would take us, Or we could spend the whole year on these eight visions and we'd still come away with a whole bunch of questions. I don't really know that that's what God wants us to do. I think God wants us to take a look at these texts and these texts and figure out what he's telling us as a church revitalization. So we wanna know what God is telling us and how, that, how does that apply to our situation? We have to be careful looking at the Old Testament and what God says to the Israelites. and just We, we can't just copy and paste it to our situation now because we're not the, the Jews in the post-exilic time. We are a different people, we are a different congregation, we are in a different time. So we have to figure out what these texts tell us about God's character and how He wants us to respond because of them. Well, Anyway, this morning we're going to be in Zechariah. Um, we're going to hit both chapters 2 and 3. And these two visions are, one's a vision of a surveyor, and the other's a vision of a branch. Uh, But in these two visions, we see three things about God. That God is protector, that God is father, and that God is the priest. Um, And that kind of gets broken down into three ways. Uh, It's that there is not a need for a wall, that there are many nations who will come to worship God, and that he will provide a clean priest. So this is, uh, we're going to get into the third vision, uh, the third night vision, and it's broken into two parts. The first part is the actual vision, and that comes in verses 1 through 5, and then the second part is the prophetic oracle that, f- that comes afterwards, kind of the prophecy that, that explains what all that's about, um, and that's verses 6 through 13, and that helps us to understand what the vision means. So we'll go ahead and jump right into that, starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, Where are you going? He answered me, To measure Jerusalem, to, to determine its width and length. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out, and another angel went out to meet him. He said to him, Run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls, because the number of people and livestock in it. The declaration of the Lord, I myself will be a, fire, or will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be the glory within it. And so we see this man, and he has a measuring line in his hand. Well, first, this points back to Zechariah's first night vision, uh, which we studied last week. And at the end of that vision, God told Zechariah that uh, he says, In mercy I have returned to Jerusalem. My house will be rebuilt within it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And a measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. So this is kind of pointing back to that point. Uh, We didn't talk about it much then, uh, so we're going to have to spend a little bit of extra time on it this morning. Now the measuring line, and you'll hear sometimes called the measuring rod or a measuring cord. These were common tools uh, in the uh, the in this this time frame. You could think of it uh, a lot like uh, a measuring tape or a ruler. The measuring line and the measuring rod. It's very similar to a measuring tape and a ruler. But see, these this imagery comes up frequently in the Bible. The imagery and the symbolism of a measuring line or a measuring rod. Now the first time, not the first time, but one very common example. Um, in Ezekiel um, chapter 40, he says, "In visions of God, He took me to the land of Israel to set me down on the slope uh, to set me down on a very high mountain. On its southern slope was a structure resembling a city. He brought me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. He was standing by the city gate. So this, uh, this vision comes during the exile. When you read through uh, Ezekiel, he was prophesying to God's people during the exile. So when he says, God took me to the land of Israel, see Ezekiel is in Babylon and God picks him up and in his vision, God picks him up and takes him back to Israel to, to show him the, the new city. Now in this vision, as if, you, if we keep reading, we see that that man would go on to measure the new Jerusalem, its gates, its walls, its temple, the rooms inside the temple, and even the furniture inside the temple. He's using that measuring line to measure all of that. Uh, we see this imagery used also before the exile in passages like 2 Kings uh, 21, starting in verse 13. God says, I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line used on Samaria and the Masons level used on the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem clean as one wipes a bowl, wiping it and turning it upside down. Uh, This imagery comes up again in Revelation uh, chapter 11. It says, then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count those who worship there. See, the measuring line and the measuring rod were used in both construction and destruction. And so in the Bible, it's used as a symbol for both restoration and discipline. In that uh, the second Kings passage, he says, I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used in Samaria. See, this is to the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, they were still there. They were still uh, operating as God's people. But the northern kingdom of Israel, with its capital Samaria, had already been destroyed by the Assyrians. So God is warning them. He says, I will stretch out this measuring line just like I did over Samaria. But then in this Revelation passage, we see that uh, somebody is going out to measure the temple and measure the altar. Um, so it's used as both in, uh, metaphors for both judgment and restoration. Now back to Zechariah's third vision. Uh, this man says he's going to measure Jerusalem to determine its width and its length. The reason for measuring Jerusalem would be so that they could start to uh, plan for building the wall around the city. In that uh, time, it was very common for cities to have walls around them for protection. A city without walls would be open uh, for attack and, and uh, robbers and, and all kinds of uh, nefarious activity. Uh, but this man is uh, in the vision is getting ready to start rebuilding the wall that was destroyed when Babylon defeated Judah. Now, we already saw that they stopped building the temple for fear of their neighbors, and instead they built houses for themselves. So, out of that fear, they're getting ready to build the wall. But the angel dispatches another angel to tell the young man that the city will be too large to build a wall around it. So here we see the adjective, young, describing the man with the measuring line. It wasn't used in the first time that they were talking about the man. Or there's a reason for that. It's because in the original Hebrew, it's a different word. The word here uh, that's translated as young man is meant to imply sort of a youthful ignorance. Um, So uh, he's not yet learned that Yahweh's plans are not limited by human perspective uh, and um, human perceptions of what is possible. Well, then God says that he will serve not only as the glory of the temple, as in Haggai's messages, but also as the glory of the city and the wall of protection for the city. This imagery, the wall of fire, is reminiscent of a pillar of fire back in Exodus, where God led the Israelites out of Egypt by appearing to them as a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. Um, The physical protection would have been important to these Jews returning from the exile, but God promises that he will protect them. Now, later in this series, later this year, we'll see that God does charge Nehemiah with leading the Jews and rebuilding the wall. So, how do we reconcile these, these two passages of this apparent contradiction? Well, first, we have to remember that the Jews were, they had a, a problem with getting their, their priorities out of line. God sent them back to rebuild the temple. They sent them, he sent them back to focus on getting the temple built. And they still hadn't finished that yet. It's been 15 and a half years and they haven't finished building the temple yet. God says, don't worry about the wall. I sent you to build the temple. Get your priorities straight. Second, the vision is looking also to the end times when Jesus returns and establishes his perfect kingdom over all the world. In that time, he will provide both the glory and establish the perimeter. Those who do not believe in him will be cast into the lake of fire. And see, that's what we all deserve anyway. Eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. Because we have sinned against a holy God. Now, thankfully, that holy God is also a loving Father. So, He's made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. That's through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. And when we place our faith in Him, He gives us His righteousness. He reconciles our relationship with the Father and establishes our citizenship in the eternal kingdom. So, in this vision, the young man is going out to measure the city to prepare to build a wall. But he's told not to do so because God will be the wall. God will provide the defense for the city. And uh, it will simply be too big for, uh, for them to build a wall around the city. And this vision is followed by a prophetic oracle. Now, I know I haven't really gone into what this means for us yet. I just want to make sure we have a, a good understanding of what's actually going on in the vision and, and why that's happening. Hopefully, we'll get into the what does it mean for us pretty soon. Uh, but first, we need to get into this prophetic oracle that follows. Uh, he says, "Listen, listen! Flee from the land of the north. This is the Lord's declaration: for I have scattered you like the four winds of heaven. This is the Lord's declaration. Listen, Zion! Escape, uh, escape! You who are living with daughter Babylon, for the Lord of armies says this: in pursuit of His glory, He sent me against the nations, plundering you. For whoever touches you touches the pupil of My eye. For look, I am raising My hand against them, and they will become plunder for their own ser- uh, for their own servants." then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me. So in this part of the prophecy, God is telling the Jews to return from Babylon, to come back home to Jerusalem. Uh, He's telling them to come back because God is about to punish those uh, who exiled the Israelites. Now, if you recall, we talked about this last week. God disciplined the Israelites by using these pagan nations. uh, God brought in the Assyrians to discipline Israel. God brought in the Babylonians to discipline Judah. They were going against God's will, so God used these pagan nations to discipline them. But then, as these pagan nations came in, they, they doled out a discipline that was more harsh than what God had wanted. And so they were overly harsh in their discipline. And God says, no, that's not what I wanted you to do, therefore you're going to be punished. Um, and so God is telling the Israelites to get out now before that punishment comes down on the Persian Empire. Uh, God has decided to bring judgment on the Persian empire and he's warning the Jews to get out before it gets too bad Now he's orchestrated this opportunity for them to go back home and they should take advantage of it We keep reading it says daughter Zion shout for joy and be glad for I am coming to dwell among you This is the Lord's declaration many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people I will dwell among you and you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem. Let all people be silent before the Lord, for from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. See, for those of us in this room, this passage should be very, or we should be very grateful for passages like this one, because as far as I know, none of us in here come from a Jewish background. None of us come from Jewish descent when he says many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people. See, since we are not from Jewish descent, we're not kind of naturally part of Abraham's descendants, but God has made a way for us to be adopted into his family. That's through Jesus. When we come to faith in Jesus, God adopts us as his children, children of the king of the universe and ruler of all the earth. We are adopted into His family, but only through the gospel. Without faith in Jesus, we are left on the outside and under judgment like the Persian Empire. Furthermore, Jesus has commissioned us to make that open call known to all the world. In Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20 Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. See, the word in that, that's translated as nations, does not refer to uh, countries with political boundaries, but it refers more to people groups. So Jesus has called us to make disciples of all people groups, all different types of people all around the world. Now, I think this points to our main takeaway in this passage, uh, in this third night vision. See, the Jews were supposed to come back and build the temple. They weren't supposed to get distracted by any of these other uh, things that were going on. They They had gotten their priorities out of line. And so God tells them, no, this is your priority. You are to build the temple. They were to focus on that and not building a wall around the city because God will take care of their enemies. In the same way, we are to focus on building God's kingdom by making disciples of all people groups. That is our priority. Anything that distracts us from our priority of making disciples is taking us out of God's will our priority as a church, our priority as individuals is making disciples. Not saying that we can't have other programs or other things that we do, but the idea behind each and every one of those should be making disciples. Not saying that you can't have jobs outside the church or something other than a ministerial position, because God will use those, God does use those in your life to make disciples. That's our job. That's our priority, is making disciples. So now we get into this fourth night vision. Uh, and that starts in Zechariah 3. It says, Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord, with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the, uh, may, may the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head, and they clothed him in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. Then the angel of the Lord charged Joshua, This is what the Lord of armies says, If you walk in my ways and keep my mandates, you will both rule my house and take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among these who are standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you. Indeed, these men are a sign that I'm about to bring my servant, the branch. Notice the stone I have set before Joshua. On that one stone are seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. On that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Now, this vision... As we read through that, it seems a little odd. There's a whole lot of uh, that, that Old Testament high priest structure going on, and, and it, it's a little bit hard for us to understand. So let's, let's dig into this a little bit. So this vision focuses on Joshua. And we've already talked a little bit about Joshua in this series, but it's helpful for us to review. Joshua was the first high priest to come back after the exile. Joshua was the one who reinstated the sacrificial worship system when the altar was completed. Um... Uh, Joshua was the first high priest to come back, and he came with Zerubbabel, who was the governor, the first governor who came back. These two people, we see them often mentioned together in these post-exilic texts, these two people represented both the political and the religious leadership in the land. So this vision is speaking to the religious leadership there in Israel, or in in Jerusalem. Not not Joshua specifically, Joshua is more of a stand-in for the, the, the priesthood, So this vision begins with Satan, the accuser, and he's rebuked by God, and then it's followed by Joshua being cleansed by God. It said that he was standing there in filthy clothes, um, and the the Hebrew word that's used there implies that it was human excrement, so it's just gross, and it's pointing to the sinfulness of the nation, and the sinfulness of the priesthood before the exile, and that was what had led them to the exile. And it says, look, isn't he a burning stick snatched from the fire, saying that, they, they, they were there, they had been disciplined, and that he snatched from the fire, meaning that God's about to bring this judgment against Persia, and yet he's bringing his people out right at the very last moment before, before that happens. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so the imagery of him being a burning stick refers to the people being brought back from exile, snatched from Babylon as it was about to be destroyed. And God promises Joshua as a stand-in for the, the priestly sect that if they would obey his commands they would be allowed to continue practicing their priestly duties until, until God brings the branch. See, this isn't promised that those priestly duties will continue after the branch comes, but they will be able to continue their duties until God brings his branch. Now, the branch is the symbol that comes up repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, and it points to God's Messiah. God promised that he will bring the Messiah soon. God's telling uh, Zechariah in this prophecy that God is going to bring the branch soon. We know now, looking back, that the promised Messiah is Jesus. Jesus would come and rescue humanity from their sin, rescue us from our sin, and redeem us all into freedom and the freedom of love. Joshua as the high priest is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Uh, The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice. Therefore, the entire Old Testament system of worship is fulfilled, and we can worship God through our faith in Jesus. Now, finally, we need to talk about this stone. It's a bit of a weird stone. You've got a stone with seven eyes with an inscription on it. Uh, In the ancient Near East, uh, this stone probably is referring to the cornerstone of the temple. And frequently, the cornerstone of whatever building would have an inscription on it that identified who the builder was, who the architect was. But this cornerstone is quite odd. It has seven eyes. In the Bible, the number seven uh, typically is symbolic of perfection or completeness. So the fact that this cornerstone has seven eyes means that God sees everything perfectly. And yet he still chooses to take away the iniquity of the people. God sees everything perfectly, yet he still chooses to take away the iniquity of the people. When God looks at your life or when he looks at my life, he sees all of our sin perfectly. He sees all of our good acts perfectly. But I don't know about you. When, you know, I say, God, yeah, look at my life, but I want to hide some stuff over here. I don't want you to see. This tells us God sees everything perfectly, yet he still chooses to give an offer. Of, of cleanness. He gives an offer of redemption. He says, I will take away the iniquity of the people. God knows all their sins, yet He chooses to redeem them as His people, and they will uh, live in a perfect kingdom of peace and safety. And that's what this um, uh, verse 10 when He says, On that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. That's, uh, that's saying that they will live in a time of peace. It will be a kingdom of peace. So, Now comes the hard part. What does all this have to do with us? What does all this have to do with us as as a church revitalization, or what does it have to do with you individually as a disciple of Jesus living in 21st century America? What in the world? How do we take all that and apply it to our lives now? See, God preserved His Word for us so that we can know Him and apply that knowledge to our lives. God preserved His Word for us so that we can know Him and become more like Him. So what does this have to do, this whole passage, what does it have to do with us? Well, that kind of brings us to our application. What do we do with it, right? How do we apply this to our lives? And we always want to take our application from our definition of a disciple and the knowing, being, and doing. Uh, so first is to know that Jesus is coming back to establish his perfect kingdom. Both of these visions pointed to the end times when Jesus would come back and establish his perfect kingdom. In the end time, Jesus will defeat sin and death. And he will send the accuser to hell for eternity. And all those who have placed their faith in Jesus will be invited into his perfect kingdom. They will have their citizenship in his kingdom. This morning during Sunday school, we talked about the passage that says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere where Jesus' rule reigns. So hopefully the kingdom of heaven is your life. And as we're going through our life, when we see parts of our life that does not reflect the kingdom of heaven, we see character qualities of ourselves or or habits that we do that don't reflect Jesus' kingdom, we need to repent from those because Jesus is coming back as the king. Those who have not surrendered to him for salvation will be sent out with the accuser. So know Jesus as your savior, confess your sins to him, and place your faith in his sacrifice for your forgiveness. He will cleanse you of your sin like he did with Joshua and provide you with his righteousness. The second application point is to be comforted by God's protection. In this passage, God promises uh, his protection for those who have been adopted into his family. Yes, this passage is talking about the end times, but if we can trust him with our eternity, then we can trust him with our day-to-day. See, God Uh, God's will may seem dangerous at times, and often it will take us out of our comfort zone. But please know that temporary discomfort, or even temporary real danger, is nothing compared to eternal punishment. Our temporary safety is nothing compared to the eternal protection uh, that's offered in God's kingdom. Be comforted by God's protection. He describes it as a wall of fire surrounding the city. Kind of makes me think of our uh, computers nowadays. We talk about our firewall protection. God gives us his firewall to protect us from our enemies. And the final do is to make disciples of every nation. The Jews were sent back to rebuild the temple, and they had to be reminded time and time again that that was their priority. Their priority was to go back and rebuild the temple to rebuild God's kingdom. See, Jesus has commissioned us to build his kingdom here and now by proclaiming the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you preserved your word for us, even though sometimes it can be hard to take it and apply it to our lives now. Lord, I thank you that you have given it to us so that we can know you and become more like you. Help us, God, to surrender to your word. Help us to repent from our sins so that we can trust in you more. God, help us to know that you are coming back as king and help us to be comforted by your protection. And God, help us to make disciples.